A Texas judge approves an emergency order for a woman to get an abortion after a fatal fetal diagnosis. This case proves that abortion is essential, life-saving health care. But supporters of the state's abortion ban are pushing back. It would be wrong. It would be, you know, hubris. It would be prideful for us to assume we have the authority, ethically and legally, to take a child's life. We look closer at the debate and how the case could have an impact on other challenges now playing out in the courts. Tensions rise in Washington over a push to limit who can apply for asylum. I see this as a unique point of leverage to force uh, the administration to talk to us about policy changes that will change what's happening at the border for the better. How a key Texan is making the case for major changes on the border. I remember as a child very vividly him telling me, Estudia, mija. Study so that you don't have to work in the fields like I do. From humble beginnings to a key position in the courtroom, how a Texas judge earned bipartisan support to earn a spot on a federal court. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. A district court judge approved an emergency request Thursday from a Dallas woman seeking an abortion. Then on Friday, the state made its own emergency appeal, asking the Texas Supreme Court to block the order. The back and forth battle focused on one woman's case, but as Ryan Chandler shows us, it could affect a larger challenge to the state's abortion law playing out in the state's highest court. Kate Cox, pregnant with her third baby, never imagined seeking an abortion in her journey to build a big family. Every day of this ordeal has been agonizing for her. Cox's daughter was diagnosed with full trisomy 18, a fatal fetal abnormality. It could also put Cox at risk and prevent her from having any future children. This case proves that abortion is essential, life-saving health care. A Travis County judge agreed, but Attorney General Ken Paxton alerted Cox's hospital and doctor they could face prison time regardless of that ruling, writing, the order will not insulate you from civil and criminal liability, including first-degree felony prosecutions. Then on Friday, Paxton appealed to the Texas Supreme Court to block the order altogether. Supporters of the ban argue the birth should occur regardless of the diagnosis. It would be wrong. It would be, you know, hubris. It would be prideful for us to assume we have the authority ethically and legally to take a child's life because we are not sure about a disability. The order applies only to Miss Cox's current pregnancy. Her lawyers hope this precedent will lead to other favorable judgments in other challenges. They're awaiting judgment in a separate challenge led by 20 women, many of whom faced similar medical emergencies, but say the law prevented their doctors from acting until they nearly died. That case is now up to the Texas Supreme Court, we asked the Chief Justice about that. He hopes Texans trust that the court respects the rule of law. It's not a political decision for them. Uh, it's a legal decision. Uh, and they uh, have to decide cases all the time uh, that are difficult. We just want it to be, sh we want to not ever do anything that makes it look like um, somebody didn't get a fair shake. Ryan Chandler, State of Texas. We want to take a deeper dive into the case and the larger ramifications. Ryan Chandler joins us now. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So what are the major differences between Cox's case and the one in front of the Texas Supreme Court? 
Well, so this is important. The critical difference in the Cox case is Ms. Cox is pregnant now. She argues that this is an emergency and she needs an abortion in the future. In the other case called Zorowski v. Texas, these women are arguing that they previously were harmed because their doctors could not perform an abortion when they were in an emergency. Now, the state is arguing those are different because uh, in Zorowski, their harm, if you will, had already passed. So they say that they no longer have standing to sue because they are not pregnant, therefore the abortion law does not apply to them, and many of them do not plan to or cannot get pregnant in the future. So they say, well, well they're just not the proper plaintiffs to bring this case. Uh, the Cox issue was different because she was pregnant and, and faced an imminent future harm. Now, you spoke to the Chief Justice about that case this week. What did he have to say? So he couldn't really share where his mind is on the merits of this, because of course it's a pending case. We're still awaiting their ruling on this. But he did stress that he's very concerned about the politicization of the court. The idea that there are Republican and Democratic judges and, and pro-abortion and, and anti-abortion judges. Um, and he says that we really need to shy away from the politics in the judiciary. It is a little different in Texas because there are Republican and Democratic judges. That's how we elect them. But he doesn't want politics to determine how judges rule in these. And he says no matter how the court comes down uh, in the Zorowski case, he says he wants the public to believe that the Supreme Court acted according to the rule of law and objectivi objectivity, not politics. For other women who may be in similar circumstances, what recourse do they have? Well, so in the Cox case, that applied only to Ms. Cox and her current pregnancy. It's not a general uh, ruling that could apply to any other woman. So uh, if there's another woman out there right now who also received that tragic diagnosis of trisomy 18 like Ms. Cox did, she would also have to go to a judge and get special, uh, special permission just like Cox did. It's, it's on an individual basis now. Now, Cox's attorneys are hoping that her precedent could lead to a case that more uh, generalizes uh, rulings like that, like the Zorowski case, of course, because they argue that, you know, if a woman is in a, an emergency like this, going to a judge and asking for permission to get that care is the last thing on their mind. All right, Ryan, thank you very much. For perspective, Texas voters have mixed views when it comes to whether the state should expand legal access to abortion. A poll from the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas found 49% believed that the state should increase abortion access, 34% disapproved. Democrats and independents in the poll were more likely to support increased abortion access, while more than half of Republican voters were opposed. The fourth special session is over. Lawmakers left the Capitol without passing the governor's priority plan for education savings accounts. Funding for school safety measures also failed to pass. At a news conference Tuesday, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick put the blame on House Speaker Dade Phelan for failing to push bills through in the final week of the special session. He had six days to go. A session is 30 days. That's 20% of the session. What the hell was he doing for six days? He could have called him back on Saturday, called him back on Sunday. He could have done something Friday. He could have called him back Monday. They had time to act today. Speaker Phelan released a statement touting priority legislation that did get accomplished during the year. A spokesperson for Governor Abbott released a statement saying the fight for school choice will continue until it's won. But the governor has not said if or when he plans to call a fifth special session. 
State officials say they've stopped a series of lawsuits that threatened to delay property tax cuts and other constitutional amendments approved by Texas voters last month. Conservative activists filed lawsuits challenging the election results. They claim voting equipment was not certified and the machines were connected to the Internet. The state says the lawsuits are not valid in part because they were filed after the governor canvassed the results. A spokesman for the governor's office tells us the 13 amendments approved by voters are now part of the Texas Constitution. The Department of Public Safety is fighting to stop the release of records and video of the response to the Uvalde school shooting. Families, the media and lawmakers have sought answers after learning law enforcement waited more than an hour to confront the gunman. Last month, the Travis County judge sided with news organizations in their lawsuit for access to DPS records of that day. But on Friday, DPS filed an appeal blocking the release of those records, at least temporarily. DPS has claimed before that releasing records could interfere with ongoing investigations into the shooting and the response. The state Republican Party under fire after rejecting the idea of banning association with known Nazi sympathizers. The condemnation coming from the Capitol. Tensions rise in Washington over a push to limit who can apply for asylum. How a key Texan is making the case for major changes on the border. And from picking cotton to a presiding position in the courtroom, meet a Texas judge making history on the federal bench. The Republican Party of Texas is facing tough criticism after a controversial decision by its executive committee. Last weekend, they considered a measure that would have barred the party from associating with known Nazi sympathizers. It comes after reports exposed that a prominent Texas conservative activist met with white supremacist Nick Fuentes. But the executive committee voted against the measure. Monica Madden looks closer at the fallout from that vote. In a narrow 32 to 29 vote. We're going to take a record vote on the amendment. The executive committee of the Texas GOP voted against a measure calling for, quote, no association whatsoever with anyone known to espouse anti-Semitism, pro-Nazi sympathies, or Holocaust denial. How do we determine if an organization or an individual is anti-Semitic? During the meeting, members wrestled with definitions of Nazi and anti-Semite. People don't even know what the definition of being an anti-Semite or being a Nazi or being an, uh, a white supremacist may be. What an anti-Semite is? I'm sorry, if you don't know what that word means, you are not worthy of the position that you hold. Top Republican legislative leaders, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and House Speaker Dade Phelan condemned the vote online. Party Chairman Matt Rinaldi punched back on social media, writing, No one who has observed reality in this country believes the GOP is a material source of anti-Semitism. Meanwhile, the head of the Democratic State Party called the GOP reckless. As long as they continue to have this right-wing base that they have today, you're going to continue to see the elected leaders of this state essentially parrot what their base wants them to, to, to do. After its party passed a resolution calling for a ceasefire and the release of all hostages in the ongoing conflict. Monica Madden, State of Texas. Texas Republican Party leaders pointed to resolutions the committee did approve, which they say affirmed unwavering support for Israel and denounced all forms of anti-Semitism.
You heard Monica say that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick condemned the executive committee's vote. Earlier this fall, Patrick faced criticism for a $3 million donation and loan he received from the Defend Texas Liberty PAC. After the Texas Tribune revealed that leaders of that conservative PAC met with Nick Fuentes, Patrick announced his campaign would buy $3 million worth of Israeli bonds. He also issued a news release saying he learned there are other so-called Republicans who share these hateful beliefs and are trying to spread their anti-Semitic views within the GOP. Patrick also said every Republican group in the state, no matter how small or how large, including our state party, needs to root out this cancer, adding those who are anti-Semitic are not welcome in our party. We've been talking about immigration and border security for the entire time I've been in the Senate. And that's all that's happened is talk, uh, no action. The battle over border security fuels a stalemate on Capitol Hill. We go one-on-one -on -one with the state's senior senator on the fight to change policy for asylum seekers. A Texas judge makes history, how she's breaking barriers and earning a spot on a prestigious federal court. The battle over immigration policy is contributing to a stalemate on Capitol Hill, and that's having an impact far beyond the border. On Wednesday, senators voted to block a supplemental funding package that includes military aid for Ukraine and Israel. Republicans say they will not support the measure unless Democrats agree to major border security reforms. Texas Senator John Cornyn voted against the bill. Monica Madden talked to him about why he made the decision and what comes next. I see you've made several floor speeches in the last couple of weeks talking about the need for having uh, these the border security funding in the overall supplemental funding package. Um, any luck there so far? Because there's, of course, a lot of other uh, major policy issues tied in that package. Right. right. Well, yes, I've, that's, I've been consistent in saying that this has to be dealt with. Unfortunately, Senator Schumer is uh, sort of shrugging this off. And because there's so much support for Ukraine and Israel, that that will carry through the current spending policies for the current uh, Biden administration, open border policies. So we're not going to let that happen. He's got a choice to make. Is he going to uh, get the aid for Israel and Ukraine? And if so, then it's going to cost him uh, some policy changes on the border that help states like Texas and the entire country deal with this incredible humanitarian and public safety crisis. Do you think that buildup of pressure is going to be the thing that ends up, as you alluded to, getting the border security aspects in this package? Because Israel just said that it had one of its worst ground offensive, ground operation days in since the uh, conflict began. We know that this aid for Israel and Ukraine is urgent. Um, and as you know, from being in Congress, as long as you have been, the border security policy issues on immigration, it's very complex and difficult to get across the finish line. Well, you're right. We've been talking about immigration and border security for the entire time I've been in the Senate. And that's all that's happened is talk, uh, no action. And meantime, things have just gotten progressively worse at the border. And Texas and Texans are paying the price um, because of the failure of the Biden administration's policies. So um, we see, I see this as a unique point of leverage to force uh, the administration to talk to us about policy changes that will change what's happening at the border for the better. Uh, this current situation is unsustainable. 
So this is a unique circumstance where there are things that I support in the package, uh, but I can't and won't support that uh, proceeding to that until we get a satisfactory answer to the policy changes that we need at the border to to uh, limit and uh, hope I would like to say stop the flow of illegal immigration, but I would say uh, probably more likelihood significantly slow it down. Mm. And a big part of the immigration impasse, as you know, is the push to pass the Secure the Border Act, which includes um, narrowing who is eligible to apply for asylum. What do you believe needs to change when it comes to asylum policy? Is there room for negotiation there? Well, right now, people are traveling from all around the world and showing up at our border and claiming asylum. Uh, this is not a case of Central Americans or South Americans or Mexicans coming to the border because they're poor and they, they need a job and they want to work. Uh, this is very different. This is a uh, transnational criminal organizations that smuggle people from all around the world for a price uh, per head. And then they show up at the border. And because there's not adequate detention facilities built by the administration, they're simply released. Some of them are given a court date, but if you go to places like New York, it could be 10 years off. Others don't even claim asylum, but are released because the administration doesn't want them clogging the border and doesn't like the public relations problems associated with, with that. So they just simply release them. Uh, this, is a, this is a big blinking green light or a welcome mat to uh, the, the folks that get rich um, exploiting the border. And as I indicated earlier, it's not just the migrants it's the uh, it's and the dangers potentially associated with that it's the drugs that took the lives of 108,000 Americans last year alone fentanyl alone took 71,000 lives and i've been to six different school districts around the state of texas and grieved with parents who lost their child as a result of inadvertently unwittingly i should say taking uh, uh, consuming fentanyl which is a deadly deadly opioid so this is a very serious problem, and we intend to make sure that uh, we hold the administration's feet to the fire, and this is a perfect opportunity to do that. There's much more to Monica's interview with Senator Cornyn, and you can watch it now on our website. Just scan the QR code on your screen to go to the State of Texas page on our website. Senator Cornyn shared his mixed views on the Republican push to restart construction of the border wall. And the senator also explained why he walked out on a vote to authorize subpoenas for a Texas billionaire who reportedly provided gifts to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. You can see the full interview online now. I remember as a child very vividly him telling me, Estudia, mija, study, so that you don't have to work in the fields like I do. From humble beginnings to a key position in the courtroom, how a Texas judge earned bipartisan support to earn a spot on a federal court. A Texas judge is making history after a bipartisan vote in the United States Senate. On Monday, senators confirmed Irma Carrillo Ramirez to serve on the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. She's the first Latina judge to serve on the conservative court. President Joe Biden nominated her to the court in April. In May, she had her confirmation hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee. She told senators how she rose from picking cotton to presiding in the courtroom. My father came to this country in the late 50s under the Bracero program from Mexico to work in the cotton fields of West Texas. That's where he met my mother, 
Her family was from South Texas and had settled in that area and also worked those cotton fields. As you noted, Senator, I remember as a child very vividly him telling me, estudia, mija, study, so that you don't have to work in the fields like I do. And my summers spent hoeing cotton in those fields only served to reinforce his message. A judiciary that is representative of the community it serves instills confidence in our system of justice. And it reaffirms the American dream that the daughter of a bracero can be nominated to sit on a United States Court of Appeals. Before I was a judge, a little girl asked me if girls could be judges too. And the hundreds of students that I've spoken to since then only confirms that what I show them speaks far more loudly than what I say to them. Judge Ramirez previously served as a magistrate judge in the Northern District of Texas. Her nomination had support from the state's two Republican senators, John Cornyn and Ted Cruz, who both serve on the Judiciary Committee. She's now one of five Democratic nominees on the Fifth Circuit. The other 12 judges on the court were nominated by Republican presidents. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.